All right, well, welcome. We're going to go ahead and move into the message time. So many of you haven't seen each other in a long time, so we have some good fellowship happening. If you've got your Bible or you use an app, please turn in or access Psalm 23. Psalm 23. We are closing in on the end of our series on the Psalms, A Heart for Worship. We have not covered very many Psalms, we know, but we plan on coming back to the Psalms uh, intermittently over the next several years, and maybe we'll knock out all 150. Um, Just wait for Psalm 119. That'll be a doozy. Uh, In your worship folder, as you're training Psalm 23, there is um, one more flyer I want to uh, announce, and that is the Operation Christmas Child School Supply Drive. And I would like you to take note of some of the things that we could use for um, stuffing boxes full of good things for kids that will go all over the world. How many of you um, have come to one of our drives here at church or have been to the big facility in Fullerton in the last few years? We've done this. Okay, good. Um, so we need some pens, we need some pencils, we need some sharp pencil sharpeners and rulers. Uh, there's a, some back-to-school sales, I, I believe, still. And um, you need to talk to Heather or Sarah or Jessica or Andrea, if you have any questions about that, okay? Um, and we are scheduling later in November um, uh, some opportunities for us to serve in various ways with Operation Christmas Child. Uh, as we get to um, Psalm 23, I'd like to ask you to follow along. How many of you have had Psalm 23 memorized at some point in your life? Okay. How many of you have it memorized right now? Stand? No, just kidding. Um, <laughs> we have a microphone back there. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, Psalm 23 is, is one of the most beloved passages of Scripture. So I am standing on holy ground in fear and trembling today um, as we approach this. But I, I preached last time on Psalm 22, and I was going to do another psalm, but I was like, ah, I'm just going to do 23 because it's the next one, and it's such an interesting follow-up to Psalm 22. Um, we've had so many different psalms that we've covered in this series, and so... Um, I thought that that we would benefit from it. I benefited greatly from um, the study, and I hope that we will as well today. I'm going to read all six verses. And of course, many of you have had this memorized in the King James, in the NASB, in the NIV. Some of you have memorized recently in the NLT or the ESV, and so it is just a mix. I was going to have us like say it out loud, but I figured there'd probably be like 19 versions uh, represented and just be all over the place. So I'm going to read it in the ESV. And if your heart is straining for another version, you can say it out loud as well. But I'm going to read it from the English Standard Version, Psalm 23, a Psalm of David. Yahweh is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside Still waters, he restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you are 
a shepherd. But not only that, you are our shepherd. Not only that, you are my shepherd. And so we thank you this morning, even as we sung um, those songs this morning to remind us of these themes. Lord, we thank you for how you shepherd us. And Lord, I pray that we would learn much this morning or be reminded of much this morning and that we would turn to you as our shepherd. Lord, I, I pray again for those in Afghanistan who might feel like sheep without a shepherd, who might be scattered. Um, Lord, it, there's no way they feel anything but the valley of the shadow of death. So we ask that verse 4 would be so real for them that they would be able to say, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. And Lord, we pray for your rod in particular to be applied. Lord, I pray that your, the way that you deal with the enemies in Afghanistan, I want justice. Um, I want your rod. And we know that's, that's how um, you administer justice sometimes. Lord, apply your staff lovingly. What if Taliban members, what if Islamic State members, what if Al-Qaeda members converted to Christianity? Saul persecuted you, and he became the first Christian missionary. Lord, I pray that you would transform some of these um, enemies into those who would um, become under-shepherds for you. That is surely not beyond you. And I ask that you would do that for the sake of your name. In Jesus' name, amen. Have you thought about what's going on? Your headstone, your gravestone, your marker. Um, Have you ever walked through a cemetery and looked at some of the creative things? that people have put on there. Um, I think more and more people feel very free to put some very interesting things. Um, but there's symbols, right? In cemeteries, lots of symbols. Um, lots of pithy phrases, Bible verses. Um, have you thought about what you want on there? Anybody? Does anybody know, pretty sure, that they, they know what they want on their headstone? Anybody know that? A few of you already know? One of you is 21. That's incredible. Okay. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Very good. If you're in your um, older years and you want some advice, Savannah has uh, some ideas for you there. <laughs> um, I found this so interesting in studying for the passage this week that in the catacombs, primarily in Italy, in the earliest centuries of the Christian faith, one of the most popular, not number one or number two, most popular things to put on the grave of a Christian in those catacombs was a crude, sometimes, picture of the good shepherd. And I think of how um, infrequently that is uh, a common symbol for us. Um, I don't think there's anything wrong with wearing a heart. I mean, a heart. There's nothing wrong with wearing a heart. But a cross (laughs) over your heart. Um, Or or having uh, those symbols. But it's so interesting to me, the emphasis on various symbols throughout church history and the early church saw the good shepherd as one of their primary symbols. It would be that of the shepherd lovingly and carefully carrying the lamb over his shoulders, as you may have seen. That is actually um, all over the catacombs. Um, anybody, anybody been to the catacombs? Some of you have been? Heather's been there? Yeah? Brian? All right. Um, shocker. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Uh, love to go there someday, but I was really uh, interested in seeing the emphasis that the church would have placed on that. What did that for them? Um, persecution? Um, the difficulty of, of living in, under the Roman Empire? 
um, coming out of paganism into Christianity, whatever, whatever that, that did, um, they, they resonated with the shepherd image that's throughout Scripture. And you can argue where it is primarily, but I think in many Christian hearts over the centuries, that image, that metaphor centers in Psalm 23. Uh, Charles Spurgeon called this psalm the pearl of the psalms. Um, he said that its piety and its poetry are equal, its sweetness and its spirituality are unsurpassed. Uh, Eugene Peterson called it the psalm of psalms. And it is likely that for many of us. And so as we go through it today, um, I, I try to take this balance of, um, we're not familiar with, with shepherds, really. I mean, like none of us have a, have a very close relationship. Anybody have a close relationship with a shepherd? Okay, all right. Um, yeah, I mean, so, I mean, I've like petted sheep a few times and, you know, like teach the kids what a sheep says and say, bah, but like, you know, pretty much beyond that, I got nothing. Um, but what's interesting is that it still resonates, doesn't it? And so sometimes we, we, we may overdo this. I may overdo this, how important the context is for understanding the passage. I have very little context for a shepherd, and yet it speaks so, so closely to our experiences and to our heart. And I apologize. I'm using my laptop because something was wrong with our printer this morning, so this is weird for me. <laughs> um, but I'm going to go on over here for my notes. Uh, and as we dive in, though, it's just interesting to me, the, the background that is helpful um, to understand more of the depths of Psalm 23. But sometimes I think I err on the facts. Whereas what we have here is poetry, <laughs> which is pictures and feelings and imagination and curiosity. And so for those of you that, that, that go to that, that, that are that bent, fantastic. Um, that's so helpful. And so let's dive into Psalm 23 and maybe see it with fresh eyes. Um, and then be reinforced in our encouragement to use this psalm in our lives. So, um, the God that we serve is a good shepherd who provides, protects, and pursues believers so that they have what they need without fear, including his very presence with them. That's my attempt to summarize some of the themes and emphases of Psalm 23. And before we go too far, I do want to make sure that we get to what is a shepherd and what are sheep. And that's going to be really helpful for us. Shepherds, shepherds and sheep. Okay? So uh, point number one um, in your notes is uh, Yahweh provides for and protects his sheep. Yahweh provides for and protects his sheep. Now, I said Yahweh when I read Lord at the beginning, and then I read Lord instead of Yahweh at the end because it's Psalm 23 and it's just so ingrained in my head. But it's important, I think, especially in Psalm 23, that we remember that when you see Lord in all caps, even in small caps, in the Bible, that is um, an English uh, way to say the Hebrew word is Yahweh here. But Lord, in our understanding, is a title, right? Yahweh is a name. And I think that's especially important in talking about our shepherd. When David penned this, when he sang it, when he composed it, he had intimate knowledge of what a shepherd was because he had been a shepherd. This was intensely personal language. And it works really well as a shepherd. It's probably a little harder to say the Lord is my accountant. Although you could probably make a case for that. <laughs> the Lord is my manager. Um, I don't know exactly where to go here, but David is, is so closely tied to the shepherd 
not only metaphor, but life, that he um, really gets this. And not only uh, that, but he doesn't say God is my shepherd. He says Yahweh is my shepherd. And so uh, we often try as Westerners to point out that in the East and in biblical times, um, there was so much more of an emphasis on the community and group than we tend to. We're very individualistic, and there are some benefits to that. But I want you to notice that in this psalm, this is a heartfelt psalm, not to the shepherd, but to my shepherd. David is speaking to the personal God of Israel, his God, my shepherd. And so as we look into this, I want us to see how the shepherd provides. How does the shepherd provide? Jeremiah, do you have control or do I have control? Uh, Yeah, now I do. I changed my mind. All right, there we go. Cool. So here's some, I think, helpful background because this is not, in a lot of places in the world, a past event. This is happening now. In fact, did you know that there are shepherds in California? Um, There are shepherds in Idaho and Montana and a lot of western states because there are sheep and goats all over the ranges. um, And there, you can actually find some of these job descriptions. Um, In fact, there's a, there's a tradition in the Sierra Nevada mountains of uh, Basque shepherds from Spain um, who came over long ago and still come over um, to do their traditional sheep herding. That's what a shepherd does, right? Herding sheep uh, in the Sierra Nevada mountains. It's becoming less and less of a thing. uh, But I find it interesting that local governments all over the world now are finding out that goats are really helpful for weed control. Um, And so I don't know if you've noticed, but even in California, there's like flocks of goats in certain places, just like chewing on the grass and keeping it nice and low and keeping it from fire danger and keeping it looking nice. And so we've actually kind of readopted some of, of these things. But this is a picture of an actual shepherd in uh, modern-day Israel. You can see um, his garb, which is not that different from the garb of shepherds 2,000, 3,000, 4,000 years ago. Again, as we're talking about shepherds, we're not talking about just David. We're talking about Jacob and Isaac and Abraham. We're talking about all these guys. And so um, here's, a, here's a picture. You can notice some things that are going on um, with the shepherd. His staff is there. We'll talk about that in a little bit. Um, you can see that the various colors of the sheep and the goats. And then um, as we talk about uh, sheep herding, look at the, uh, the sheep here grazing on the slopes. They need space to move and to graze. And so this is actually in the Elah Valley where David fought Goliath. Um, and this is where even today there are um, some sheep being uh, uh, herded all over the place. Now, in Bible times, there were generally um, two different types of herding sheep. Okay, so there were the shepherds who were out in the wilderness, semi-nomadic for months at a time. You know, send them out, see you in a few months. Okay, then there were also um, smaller uh not smaller shepherds, but I mean, they might have been smaller, but there were smaller flocks in little villages, right? So um, Lorraine's home would have two sheep, and uh, Juan would have four sheep, and uh, you got, you know, there, there'd be all these sheep, and so then maybe um, my daughter would take Wednesdays and go take the sheep out nearby and come back in the evening, and maybe someone else's son would go and take out the sheep, right? And so there's those two different kinds of things. What shepherd is David referring to? I don't think it really matters all that much um, because there were 
there were various places in um, in the land of Israel uh, that were accessible and looked similar and had similar um, geographical features that we'll see here soon. Um, you can also see some of these older pictures um, of sheep being led to still waters, quiet waters. You can see some of the shepherds there as they lead them there and as they lead them to a place that is easy um, to drink from. Uh, here's another just beautiful picture. You'll notice there's a lot of green here. Um, the photographer was my professor in college, and most of these photos um, say, this is in the springtime when there's actually green stuff, okay? So this is a lot like Southern California, right? We're like, wow, we get some green hills for a month and a half, and then the rest of the year, they're yellow and brown, okay? So this is very similar to, to Israel, and trying to find places to lead the herds is important. Here is um, a picture of what it may have looked like when a shepherd had to take care of a lost lamb or a lost sheep. Um, the, the secure way in which the shepherd takes care of that lamb, the intimate and personal, smelly way that the shepherd is caring for the lamb. Um, also interesting to note is um, in opposition to uh, American sensibilities of cattle driving, um, uh, in Israel, the shepherd didn't drive the sheep. The shepherd led the sheep. And so the understanding of that is pretty important for this psalm. The shepherd led the sheep and they followed him. That's important for understanding John chapter 10, right? The shepherd knows who are his. He speaks and they follow him. And this has been observed all over the world. In fact, I was reading um, an account last night of several places, uh, of several places where um, there would be sheep and shepherds coming from various locations to one central well, and then all the sheep would mix and mingle, and all the shepherd had to do was do his call, whether it was a whistle or some kind of clicking or some kind of song, and begin to walk, and unbeknownst to any onlookers, right, the, the sheep would begin to sort themselves and follow their shepherd. Just a beautiful picture of what we see um, in the scriptures. And so um, this is what I, I want us to look at as the first few verses show us that the Lord, the shepherd, provides. So take a look at verse 1. Yahweh is my shepherd, I shall not want. That language is more and more difficult for us as, our, as English changes. Um, the want language is kind of tough here. Uh, the Hebrew is lack. And so some of your versions will actually flip it from a negative statement, not lacking, not wanting, to a positive statement, I have everything I need. Um, I think it's a little bit over-interpretation, but it's fine because it, it does it does end up meaning the same thing. But the, the idea here is that David looks to Yahweh as his shepherd and says, I, sh- I, won't, I won't lack. I won't not have what I need. So I will have what I need. Right? So the positive and negative, they end up balancing each other out there. But, but David sees that Yahweh provides what he needs. And I want to be really careful here. There are Afghan Christians right now who perhaps are saying these verses, and it does not feel real to say, I shall not lack, when they've lost family members, when they've lost property, when they've lost freedom, when they've lost everything. It is important to note that what David refers to here, and this is where the word want, I think, is a little bit troubling sometimes, is David's not getting everything that he wants. David's getting from Yahweh what he needs on Yahweh's terms. When God allows us to lack something, he still gives us what we need. So there are Christians who starve due to lack. They will literally die around the world, perhaps today, 
That doesn't make this psalm untrue. Because at the moment of their greatest lack, death, they receive what they most need, the presence of the Lord. And so this is, this is helpful for us to note because I think sometimes we can rank our troubles and like compare our troubles and like, well, they're not suffering like I'm suffering. So they're not in the valley of the shadow of death. They're in the valley of the shadow of uh, right? Okay, they're in the valley of the shadow of meh. But I, I'm in the valley of the shadow of death. We need to be careful. By the way, your valley of the shadow of death might be 300 feet deep and mine might be 500, but we're both in the valley of the shadow of death, okay? Now, it's not to relativize everything, but it is to say that sometimes you feel like you're in the valley of the shadow of death and 10 years later, you go, I wasn't in the valley of the shadow of death. But it doesn't matter because when you were there, you prayed to your shepherd. Now, what does the shepherd do? He provides particularly food, nutrition. So uh, verse 2 says, he makes me lie down in green pastures. Well, that's nice. And maybe we've seen pictures of pastoral art um, in our art classes and all these gentle, just beautiful, wow, I wish I could be like that. That's not at all what's happening here. It means the shepherd is searching diligently, racking his brain, talking with other shepherds. Where is the green grass? (laughs) Where are the green pastures? They're not on the slopes leading down into the canyon. Then I can't go into the farm country because I don't want to eat that food. That's a different kind of food. So I got to go find the green pastures. The shepherd finds the green pastures. And, and sometimes people have a problem with the word makes. And so some versions say he lets me lie down. And that's, that's important to see that that's, that's a helpful thing. It's not like the shepherd's like, get down in the grass. Okay. That's not, that's not the makes here. Um, it's, it's he settles me down. Okay, he settles me down in the green grass, in the green pastures. He gives the food that I need. Secondly, he leads me beside still waters or waters of rest. Um, Here's the deal. The sheep cannot drink water when it's flowing fast. You ever gone to one of those drinking fountains and gone to drink and it's it's like, you can't get anything actually in your mouth. It's just all over you. You need it to be calm. You need to come out at a reasonable uh, stream. And that's what the shepherd has to find. The shepherd can't just say, sheep, drink. The sheep won't drink if the water is moving too quickly. So the, the, again, the shepherd has to find the still waters. Okay, the shepherd has to find the still waters. And so what does our shepherd do? What does my shepherd do? He settles me down in green pastures. He leads me beside Still waters. This leads to verse 3, the restoration of my soul. This picture of restoring is actually um, with more than a hint of repentance. And so I think there's a good case to be made that the Hebrew word means to bring back. Um, he, he brings back my soul. He brings back my life. And that sounds a whole lot to me like a lost sheep. And that sounds very consistent with a bunch of other passages about sheep in the scriptures. And so I think that the idea here is very consistent with our Lord's parable of, of leaving the 99 to seek out the one lost sheep. He restores my soul. He, he recovers my life. He leads me to repentance. He brings me back. This is seen in the words of the hymn, The King of Love, My Shepherd Is. Perverse and foolish, oft I strayed, but yet in love he sought me. And on his shoulder, gently laid, and home rejoicing brought me. And many of you have that testimony of being the consciously wandering sheep, 
wandering off from the flock and your shepherd left the 99 safe and went to go get you and brought you home. Isaac Watts also wrote a hymn based on Psalm 23 and it went like this. He brings my wandering spirit back when I forsake his ways and leads me for his mercy's sake in paths of truth and grace. And the question here would be, why does he do it? And the end of verse 3 explains, he leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. For his name's sake. And that sounds maybe, if, we're, if we slow down enough, because it's so familiar, if we slow down enough, that's an odd reason. Why would you leave the 99 and go after the one and endanger yourself, take on the risks for your name's sake? Well, what's, that, what's in a name? In the Bible, then your name is closely tied to your reputation. And so when we worship the name of the Lord, when we sing to the name of the Lord, when we say, shout, pronounce, pray the name of the Lord, we are talking about who he is. Look at the names around this worship center. These names show us who God is. He has a reputation to uphold. And so when he rescues us, yes, it's for our sake. He loves us. But it's also, and it's primarily, for his name's sake. He is a good and a kind God, and in his rescuing, shows himself to be consistent with his nature. And his nature, by the way, is to bring himself glory. To bring himself glory. God brings himself glory, and our greatest end is to bring him glory and enjoy him. Listen, when we seek God's glory apart from our own, we're living for the best thing in the universe. When God seeks his own glory, it can only be good for us if we are his children. When he seeks his glory, it automatically means our good. doesn't mean it feels like it, but it means that God searching, not searching, God um, bringing himself glory for his name's sake is the best thing that can happen for you and me. If God is perfect, if he is omnipotent, omniscient, omnipresent, if he's the ruler of the universe, if he were to seek anyone else's good above his own, the universe would collapse. And so as he seeks the glory of his name, we see his goodness. He leads me in paths of righteousness. Some of your Bible, in fact, in Psalm 23, your ESV Bible has a bunch of little notes because there's a lot of translation notes that have to happen because the translators know that if they mess with Psalm 23, there's an uprising, right? If they change the wording of Psalm 23, everyone looks out, I'm not buying that version, <laughs> okay? But we do have some, um, some, of these, some of these words are, are 400 600 years old, and they may not communicate the same thing as they used to, such as want, okay? So you've got, you do have a lot of notes um, in Psalm 23 here in your Bibles. So just pay attention to those. But the paths of righteousness, in fact, our, our guide um, in Israel, Ronan, um, he will point out as we're on the bus or as we're at a site, see up on the hills, you see those lines, those little trails, what are those? He calls those the paths of righteousness, because those are the paths that the animals know are safe. Those are the paths that the animals travel to and from. Now, some of you have um, dogs that have paths of righteousness in your backyard that you probably don't call that, <laughs> okay? Maybe that will help your attitude to call them paths of righteousness. I don't know. But that's where the animal travels and feels safe. 
How does the animal know that? Well, there is some in, in, there are some instances, of course, that they know that by nature. That's how God made them. But what we're primarily looking at here is that the shepherd leads the sheep in paths of righteousness because sheep have a tough time being alive. Um, they really have no offensive weapons. They don't have claws. Their hooves are not worth much. Um, their teeth are not really that great for attacking. Um, and their defense is pretty useless, right? Part of the reason what we have the sheep is so they get heavy with wool, which means it's hard to run, right? Um, you can just imagine every sheep that's ever been, a, <laughs> like all this, all this wool that's being grown for the humans is weighing the sheep down. And so the sheep, the sheep, they're dumb. Um, they don't really have anything going for them. They're not fast either, right? Some animals are quick and they can get away. The sheep just got nothing. In fact, I was reading when a sheep gets lost, the sheep just finds a place to kind of like settle down behind a bush or a rock and the sheep goes, Bah! Okay? Bah! Like, what is that? What is that doing? Well, it's alerting the shepherd. Guess who else it's alerting? Everything else that's within range, right? Well, like, dumb sheep. Be quiet, right? So, so the idea here, by the way, is that you and I are that sheep. <laughs> okay? That, that's the whole point of the metaphor here, right? The metaphor only works if we understand that we are sheep. Okay? And so, um, this is the way that, that, the, that David's shepherd provides for him. Now, also, um, what David's shepherd does is protects. David's shepherd protects. Um, here is what David's shepherd protects him from. Verse 4, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, or the valley of deep darkness, or whatever your newer version has, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. So there's, there's, a, there's a little bit of a transition here to the places that we talked about in verses 1 through 3 are green pastures, still waters, restoration of my soul. Verse 4 is death. <laughs> okay, the, the situation has changed. There is danger at hand. Here is um, just one of the many, 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 many canyons in Israel called the Nahal Zin. A Nahal or a Wadi is what we might call like a wash or a seasonal stream, right? We have lots of those around here. Like I, I, I like to drive over the, um, some of our rivers and say, the mighty dry Los Angeles River, right? I grew up in Santa Clarita, and the Santa Clara River runs about four days a year, right? But there it is. There it is, right? And so when does it run? It runs when there's snow or rain, right? And so that's why these have been carved um, in the land of Israel. Now look at the shadow in this picture. Um, I was reading um, some... Uh, personal uh, testimonies of shepherds in Israel and Syria and in, in nearby regions. And they would actually talk about it. Although this might look nice for a hot day, it actually in the bottom of these canyons gets stifling because some of them are so narrow that when you get to the bottom, it's just hot. And if it's hot and dark, there's trouble. There can be trouble. Now, this is also like the very same setting for the parable of the Good Samaritan. Right, on the way from Jerusalem to Jericho, these are the same exact problems. They're not just problems for sheep. They're problems for people trying to stay away from bandits, right? And so David says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, if I'm in the deep shadow, this is not so much shadow, but just look at the rocks and look at the, look at the places where uh, um, a, a human if we want to change the metaphor to humans, could hide behind a bandit or animals that could be waiting to leap on the sheep 
could be hiding. This is dangerous. This is a place of darkness, of danger. It's imminent. We've, we've probably been influenced a lot by um, John Bunyan's description of the, the valley of the shadow of death in Pilgrim's Progress. Um, and that's, that's a really helpful uh, translation to uh, humanity being in um, a, a, dark, a dark valley. But here, remember, we're talking about sheep being led by their shepherd in the depths of the canyons. It's really helpful also to notice what happened in verse 4. In verses 1 through 3, the Lord, he, he, he. Verse 4, you. Now we've moved from third person to second person. This is no longer a description, but direct speech to God. David is speaking to God. George Lamza was a deacon in the Syrian Orthodox Church. He was born in 1892, and he was born and lived in goatskin tents. In fact, he said, I grew up the same way that Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob did, <laughs> under these tents with a semi-nomadic community. He grew up herding sheep. And this is what he said about dangerous valleys. Valleys of the shadow of death are paths which wind in between mountains where there are dark shadows and deep gorges. Travelers march slowly and silently in order to avoid being, avoid being seen or heard by bandits. The fear of death is constantly in their minds. They tremble. They expect trouble or death at any time while they are passing through. This is the reality of being in death's dark shadow. But what does David say? I will fear no evil. That word can also be translated danger or disaster. He won't fear. Why? What is the reason that fear is absent? What is the thing that drives away fear? Pastor AJ talked about this last week. The presence of God. For you are with me. You are with me. The bully on the playground suddenly finds out that the other boy is not scared of him at all and turns around and sees the boy's dad. (laughs) Fear no evil. My dad's here. You are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Um, Here's a, a, a few pictures well, one picture of here are some actual um, sticks and staffs from Egypt um, that are used by shepherds there. And we have two words here. And some scholars think that it's like a, it's, it's um, actually just one uh, piece of equipment that's, that's emphasized with rod and staff is actually referring to one. I think it's probably referring to two because a lot of those who have been shepherds have said they had two. They had a rod, which is more like a club. Um, so like a sawed off baseball bat. <laughs> Um, sometimes they put metal in it so that they could attack wolves or bears or lions in, in the um, past. Um, even today, they bring these. Um, a lot of shepherds now actually have guns. They upgraded. Um, you know, more power to them. Uh, but that shows you the danger. If you have to upgrade to a gun, you're in a, you're in a dangerous place. So that the, the shepherd would also have a, would often have a rod, like two and a half feet, um, a, a more of a club, um, so that in close combat um, they could hit the the animal that was seeking their sheep. So you think of David telling King Saul, you know, I killed the lion, I killed the bear. You actually notice in that, um, that I always thought like, man, he did that barehanded? David is a beast. But if you read it, it says, um, David says, I struck the bear. And I mean, I, I, you, I suppose he could have gone just bare knuckle. But what we're supposed to, we're supposed to understand is that David likely had um, his rod and his staff. And so he, he would use the rod to club the animal. 
that's comforting because it protects you. The staff, on the other hand, um, was used for a lot. It was, it was actually the, the, the multi-tool. Um, it's probably more like five, five and a half feet. It was something that the shepherd would lean on for rest. Something that often had a crook on the end. Okay, that's not just um, a cliche uh, because that would help to grab things. Um, it was used for various things. Um, reaching, grabbing, hiking, resting, um, leaning, um, sometimes splinting. Okay, and so because the shepherd has the offensive weapon and the multi-tool, the sheep feels safe and secure. Now listen, David feels comforted by the rod and the staff, and sometimes the staff was used for discipline. Staff was used, have you ever been disciplined? And maybe not that second, but perhaps 10 seconds later, or maybe 10 minutes or 10 weeks, you felt comforted by the fact that you were disciplined? Like, that was good for me. I think that's also included here, that, that David's comforted because his shepherd disciplines him and his shepherd loves him. You think about the, the shadow of death. Um, and Billy Graham has this great story of uh, the great American preacher, Dr. Donald Gray Barnhouse. And Barnhouse lost his first wife of cancer, um, left him with three kids under the age of 12. And on the day of the funeral, Barnhouse and his family were driving to the service the funeral service, when a truck passed them, casting a large shadow across their car as it went by. Turning to his oldest daughter, Barnhouse said, tell me, sweetheart, would you rather be run over by that truck or its shadow? Looking at her father, she replied, by the shadow, I guess, it can't hurt you. Speaking to all his children, he said, your mother has not been overridden by death, but by the shadow of death. What a beautiful thing for him to say to his children as he understood the pain and the sorrow of losing their wife and, and mother, but knowing that it was merely a shadow and that God had brought her to himself and that someday they would see each other again. In verse 5, we see a transition, probably a transition of setting. And so we see that Yahweh is near no matter what. Yahweh is near no matter what. There, we go from the canyons of Israel, we go from the shepherd imagery to now to hospitality and hosting. Okay, with maybe a little hint of the shepherd metaphor kind of sticking around. Um, but here we see a table. Now we're transformed to a table. And so uh, maybe as you've grown up, you thought, this is super weird. A table in the, wil- in the middle of the wilderness? With like, and the enemies are around? Like, what are we doing here? Are we like, we're kind of like looking over our shoulder and feasting while the enemies are all around us and we're in the middle of nowhere with like a picnic? Um, and I think that's why you have to see that the, the imagery has changed. And what is, we're talking about here is we're talking about hospitality. Um, to prepare a table, to, to make a meal ready, to be hospitable, is to dramatize the ease of life and serenity that the kingdom citizen enjoys even in the face of hostility. So the idea, the, the idea is not that um, necessarily that, that the enemies are right outside the tent, Although I suppose you could picture that. But the idea is that David, who had plenty of experience running from enemies, had found a place where the table had been prepared, where the host was Yahweh. And if you want to continue the shepherd metaphor, you could, you could say that the shepherd was hosting him. But I think we have, um, I think we have humans now, not sheep. <laughs> I think that's the picture that has changed because of the head of being anointed with oil and the cup that overflows is generally more needed for humans than for sheep. Um, and so the picture is this, 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 hospi- this hospitable picture of feasting, of 
the carefree attitudes that we have when we laugh with friends and family around the table. That, that Yahweh has brought him, um, I think, out of the shadow of death to a place of safety and security and celebration. This is what God does for us at times, doesn't he? He brings us out of these hard places at times and we have a time and chance to celebrate. Some of you don't feel that at all right now and you're desperately looking forward to that table being spread before you. And I think this is a beautiful picture of what the Bible speaks of in the future. That there is a table that is being prepared for us and we will all sit around it with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob in the kingdom and there will be no more enemy. He will be locked up forever. Sin will be gone and we will laugh and enjoy hospitality with our host. What's the head being anointed with oil? Well, it's probably um, part of just cleaning off as you come in from the outside. Um, I don't know if it's doTERRA or Young Living, but it's helpful to make sure that they're clean and maybe that helps them smell good. It might be a deodorizer, right? Like, hey, you came in from the fields. Here, <laughs> have some oil, right? I remember the, the bad host to Jesus didn't give him a kiss, didn't wash his feet, didn't give him oil. He didn't do any of that stuff. He's a bad host. A good host provides for everybody's good, <laughs> some cleansing opportunities. The cup overflowing shows that the cup is saturated. That's, that's the wording in Hebrew. The cup is saturated. It's full to the brim. There was, there's no skimping here. We're not giving you a little bit. We're just dumping it all in there. Drink up. Enjoy. Last verse, verse 6. Surely, goodness and mercy shall... I'm sorry. Cross out follow. It's such a weak word. I'm so sorry. It's not the word in Hebrew. If you look it up in, a, in, in any kind of um, dictionary and anything, it's always pursue. In fact, sometimes it's persecute. Like this is a, a strong word. So it's not like goodness and mercy are skipping down the lane. <laughs> Ooh, yay. This is a pursuit. So I literally have follow crossed off. Sorry, ESV translators. But my Bible says now, surely goodness and mercy shall pursue me. All the days of my life. Think about that. When the enemy is after you and you look behind you and there's the enemy, David turns around and sees goodness and mercy chasing after him. Rather than an enemy, he sees goodness and mercy. Tov, goodness, wholeness, um, mercy. This is chesed. This is loving kindness, steadfast love. Loyalty is pursuing him. Um, if you want to go back to the shepherding language, sometimes the shepherds use sheepdogs. And so some have said these are like two sheepdogs chasing after David and their names are goodness and mercy. They're keeping him on the path. How long shall goodness and mercy pursue David? All the days of his life. All the days of his life. When? Until he cannot anymore and he succumbs to the valley of the shadow of death. That's how long goodness and mercy shall pursue me. And he ends with saying, I shall dwell in the house of Yahweh forever, for length of days. There's an argument about what this means, but you know what? We're New Testament believers and we know the end. And so that, did David mean forever in eternity in heaven with God? I think so in whatever sense he had of that 3,000 years ago. But the sense that we have with the revelation of the New Testament is that we know that, yes, we shall dwell in the house of Yahweh forever. And in fact, the New Testament tells us we are living stones being built into that very house that God comes to dwell in. We are a vessel for which God dwells inside of. So we have more revelation than David did so that when we say, verse 6, and we say, I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever, 
we mean that we know that we will be with the Lord, with him, no tears, no pain, no sorrow, no sin, no Satan. We will be with him in his house. How long? Forever. For length of days. This is very, very good for us to think about. Now, I, I ran out of time. I've got some application words there at the end, and I want you to think about those words. Sheep. You are a sheep. Okay? Now, obviously, all metaphors break down if you take them too, too far, right? And there's lots of other metaphors in the Bible for what you are. A soldier, okay? You're lots of other things. But, but one of the primary ones is that you and I are sheep. We should be very in tune with the humility and humiliation of being a stinky, not very smart, not a lot of capabilities kind of sheep. That's what you and I are. We're sheep. We need a shepherd. We're not super sheep. Okay? We're not super sheep. We are the ones in need of a shepherd. And it's good to remind ourselves of that. Um, also, it's good to be a sheep. It's very good to be a sheep. Why would you want to be anything else when your shepherd is this good? When your shepherd is this good, why would you want to be anything else? The New Testament calls Jesus the good shepherd. It calls him the chief shepherd. It calls him the great shepherd. So there's so much I would like to talk about with Jesus here that I can't get to. But we know that Jesus is the good shepherd. And so perhaps it's helpful for us to return to that metaphor more often with Jesus. When we think of Jesus and his being with us and his taking care of us, to think of him, think of him as our shepherd. And boy, if we considered Jesus as shepherd and how good of a leader he is, perhaps we would view shepherds, leaders, in a different way. We are so desperately in need of shepherd leaders in our churches in particular. So I would ask you, this congregation, to pray for the shepherds that God has given to us. Um, if you're one of the elders, could you just stand up real quick? Real quick. I want to, I want to give you to the congregation. Um, Joshua, Pastor AJ, Pastor Ron, and myself, and these three men here, we need your prayers. Um, we have been called to be shepherds. You guys sit down. Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> stand up the whole time. Uh, we're called to be shepherds. And I wanted to end with this. And I wanted to challenge you guys and myself, specifically you elders. We, we need your prayers. And we are not, we are under shepherds. Phil, Phil tells us that almost every meeting. We are under shepherds. And we are sheep. We are ourselves sheep. And so one of the things I try to do before each elder meeting is go back and read First Peter 5. Here's what it says about the shepherds that God has given to this congregation. Directly to these elders, me. Peter says, I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd, verb, shepherd the flock of God that is among you. Exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you. Not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. That's a heavy burden sometimes. Pray for us. Here's what we look forward to. Verse 4. And when the chief shepherd appears, <laughs> please, chief shepherd, come, come. We're not good enough shepherds. We need you to shepherd. When the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. 
I also speak to all of us, not just the elders of this church, but those of us who shepherd anybody in this church, in your home, in another community where there are believers that you interact with. We want to be, we want to have the characteristics of this gentle shepherd. Yes, the shepherd, the shepherd can use the club and the rod, but that is the last resort. The shepherd leads, the shepherd gives his life for the sheep. The shepherd speaks in such a way that the sheep are fed. We want to be like Jesus, don't we? We want to lead like Jesus. If, you're in, if you work in the nursery, if you work in Awana, if you lead a Bible study, if you help in any, any ministry in this church, if you work in the library, if you come early and set up, if you're on the sound team, if you sing up here, if you preach, whatever you do, we need, we need to be like Jesus. We need to lead like Jesus with the compassion of the shepherd. I, I pray that we would learn how to use the rod and the staff, but primarily that we would learn how to use the words. You know the shepherd leads by his words? So the words that we use are so important. The words that we use are so dangerous. What if you were a shepherd on social media instead of a wolf? Lord, please help us as we go from this place to to reconnect with this psalm, that it would humble us, that it would bring us to rejoicing and praise, that we would live in such a way as to be led by you and not be a stupid sheep that resists, but that we would accept your leadership, that we would accept your discipline, that we would accept the the staff, sometimes the rod perhaps. And then Lord, help us as we lead to lead like shepherds that we would reject much of what the world says a leader is and that we would instead turn to the scriptures and see how we are to lead. Maybe we're not as efficient. Maybe we're not as productive. But if we're more like you, Lord, that's, that's what really matters. Transform our church, that we would lead like shepherds. Conversely, that we would be good sheep. And Lord, thank you for those who you have placed over us and among us to lead us. Give them strength to do what you have called them to do. In Jesus' name, amen.